0: You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. If you were one of the lucky Americans to own a yacht before the coronavirus shut down the country, you were probably on the water. In the first three months of the year, the average yacht sailed farther than the year before. For Hollywood billionaire David Geffen, that meant sailing around the South Pacific on Rising Sun, his $590 million, longer than a football field super yacht, which includes another boat, the Rising Sun Cat, which docks inside. Like-minded super yacht owners followed suit, ditching the perils of sheltering at home, like customer limits at grocery stores, and trading designer clothes for toilet paper, among other struggles, for life at sea. All of this helps explain why, in the last seven months, yacht dealers from coast to coast have reported record interest and robust sales with a huge increase in first-time customers. Size, horsepower and performance on the water are often key criteria for boat buyers about to make a purchase, but interior design has become a make-or-break factor in many deals. As yachts have grown larger, there's more room for sophisticated interiors that mimic homes, hotels and even bars. And in the age of COVID-19, interior designs of vessels have become even more important as they've become a popular and safe way for affluent families to get out of the house and work off the grid. My guest today on the luxury item is Patrick Knowles, founder and president of Patrick Knowles Design. Patrick is one of the United States' most prolific superyacht interior designers. With a career in the marine industry, as well as private aircraft and luxury residential projects that spans over 30 years, his expertise has successfully put his firm, Patrick Knowles Design, on the map with award-winning designs and a wide range of sizable vessels across the world. Welcome to the luxury item, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me.
0: Oh, I'm so glad that you could join me. So you're you're based in Fort Lauderdale, fittingly the yachting capital of the world. Yes. Um, and I know that the Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show was just a couple of weeks ago. It, I think it, it's the, it's the world's largest, right?
1: Yeah, it's the world world's largest in-water boat show. In-water, right? Yes. And it
0: was, and obviously it wasn't done virtually. I would assume this year, right?
1: No, it wasn't. Uh, we did have the physical show, uh, albeit with, um, with modifications, but no, the show did go on uh, this year.
0: Oh, that's great. So what were some of the big trends that came out of that show that you saw? What were some of the more interesting and innovative features on the super yachts that seemed a little different than in past years?
1: Well, you know, that's an interesting question because in, in design, of course, it's an evolution. And sometimes you th- see things develop over time. However, at this show, I've, I have noticed uh, a few distinct things that seem to have reached that tipping point, and point, and a few of them, uh, first and foremost, uh, sy- synthetic materials are used in proliferation. Uh, natural materials that would have been used before, such as uh, onyx and marble uh, woods, are now being substituted by man-made um, products, so you see a, a bit of that you've seen a bit of that, but now you see it uh, in, a, in a very strong and powerful way. Um, another element that I notice in design, or, and, and I don't know if it's a trend, I, I kind of think that some of it is, is, is transcendent, but uh, some of it really is um, just uh, the, what, what's gonna be the t- turning point in yacht design is that interior styles are now eclipsing exterior profiles which is pretty significant Hmm. because for years you designed a yacht the the way that it looks on the water and you conformed the interior to that look. And now it's the exact opposite. You design the experience on the inside and the exterior um, conforms however it does.
0: Pandemic has affected everything. So is the whole idea of having this home living inside on the water and that experience of your friends and family more important?
1: Um, I, I think it's the latter. Uh, with with uh, the newer generation coming up, um, the way that a yacht was originally intended to be used is really not based on the same ideals uh, as it once was. And now the environment, uh, spending time with family and ultimately enjoying your environment to the fullest is what's driving that. Uh, Say for instance, uh, I I had a friend and and we were actually, we were critiquing some of the boats and we looked at one one boat in particular and the profile was, it it wasn't incredibly pleasing. And he had made that comment. And so I kind of took him on a tour visually and said, you know, when you're behind that huge window that may look odd on the side of the boat, this is what you're experiencing inside. That's the master cabin. You wake up, you roll over, and you have no obstruction. And all that you see is ocean and horizon. And that is huge. So for the owner that, you know, you may have a husband and wife, and maybe it is the wife that says, you know, if I'm going to be spending all this time on the boat, I want a lot of windows. I want a lot of light. I wanted all of these things that, really drives what the boat is going to look like inside and out. So for the owner that buys it, it's more important to have that experience on the inside and have the exterior conform to that. So it really is a lifestyle. It's an expectation of lifestyle. Like with a condo, for instance, back in the 60s, you would have condos, and New York City is a prime example of it, you would have condos that are built that have windows with sills starting 36 inches and higher off the floor. Now you have pure floor-to-ceiling glass because people want all of it. They don't want a percentage of it. They want all of it. Yeah, it's interesting
0: you're talking about glass. And I'm wondering, it seems like that's a a bigger trend these days when you see these large buildings, not only in Manhattan, but in Dubai and other cities where glass pretty much takes up 90% of the design of the building.
1: Yes, and that really goes to speak to the desire more and more to not be separated from your environment and when you think of a boat um, especially when you think of a boat you go on a boat for the pure purpose of uh, enjoying an environment you enjoying the sea and so what good is it if you are spending your time on board and you're sitting in your salon and you have to pretty much sit up straight, if not stand up, to see the, the horizon. <laughs> so yes, glass has become paramount. It helps us to feel connected with our community, with our environment, with nature. It's it's a huge, huge um, building uh, material that has seen a lot of uh, design evolution over the years. And even structural glass that's, in some cases, taken the place of uh, walls.
0: Yeah, was there a lot of optimism at the show?
1: Um, there, there was in the sense that um, it, it occurred, number one. Uh, we were, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think we were the only in-water um, boat show, significant boat show, that had uh, taken place in 2020. And so it was uh, optimistic in the sense that maybe this is the um, beginning of a return to, at least in our industry, uh, to be able to communicate and interface with our colleagues and with our customer base.
0: That's great. So, so what's your story, Patrick? You know, why did you choose design, and specifically yacht design?
1: Well, I love aesthetics, period. Uh, whether that is land-based, whether that is you know in marine design, I started in aviation design, and I guess I recognized from a very early age that I saw how design and how aesthetics actually impacts mood. And and I knew that uh, before I even entered into the field, but when I was uh, in my studies and you study the psychology of design, the psychology of color, the psychology of light, the psychology of composition, and you realize how powerful design is in the way somebody lives their life. And sometimes it's even uh, dictating the quality of their life and that's why you have some people that specialize in designs that are for the elderly or for the impaired because what they design will have a direct connection to the quality of the experience of life that the occupant uh, feels in it. So mm-hmm. I, I always had an appreciation for that. Uh, why yachts? Um, I, By nature, I, I love restrictive parameters. <laughs> I, thrive, I thrive better when 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 there are parameters, and I know what those parameters are, and the reason why is because I like the challenge. I like to be told that there is something that needs to be done. However, here are the limitations. To me, that's when you get the brain exercise, because virtually anybody can design if there's no parameters, if there's no restriction. So you you take that to the ultimate level when you design in aviation because restrictions are everywhere. Um, but with Marine design, with the latest in the certifications, it's becoming more and more restrictive, which I, I thrive in in that part. So that's why I chose yachts.
0: What does your design process look like? You know, how long does it take to create a design that you're actually happy with that you want to share with others?
1: Um, well, that's, uh, that, that, can run the gamut. Um, it, the typical design process is, is first of all, know, knowing who you're designing for. So listening intently is very critical because if you don't, you're, you're not going to hit the mark as to what the request is. And then, of course, after you, you understand that, um, it, that needs to ferment. Whether that is something that happens within the same day or within the next uh, day or week or months, however it is, but that needs to ferment and that needs to congeal into something of substance to where that is then reflected back to the owner. And that first blush of do I understand you Uh, to the owner is usually done in in hand sketches, uh, which is to me the most powerful way of communicating somebody's thought. And then once that's all together and you mutually understand each other that yes, we are on the same path, then we move into the technical aspect of bringing that design to fruition. Uh, and, and those are the basically the concepts. And, and we design from A to Z. But it basically starts from listening, thinking about what you've been told to do or asked to do, reflect that back uh, as an affirmation, and um, then moving into the technical part of the design, which really takes a lot of the glamour out of it the bringing the concept from somebody's mind to that initial presentation of do I understand you, that's kind of like the what we did the courtship, uh, that's really the icing on the cake. And once that is done, then now we get to business behind the scenes, we get involved with the technical nature of it, the structural nature of it, the engineer nature of it, and also the business of design of making it happen. And that's just basically, you know, that's mechanical. But that's really my process.
0: So obviously the world has changed dramatically in the last seven months. How has it affected your business?
1: Well, it's um, forced us to um, become elevated in our communication. Um, we, our craft is really based in emotion. And e meetings aren't emotional. And there is so much that is reliant upon that eye to eye and all of the uh, instinctive things that you perceive and that you feel and that you receive um, from your your client uh, is very important. And to be able to maintain that same level of engagement in a capacity that is not one-on-one, it's either through uh, an electronic media or through packages in which you are expressing your thoughts um, without them seeing you or without them being engaged in a conversation with you. So a lot of what we've been doing lately is that, and we've always done this because by nature of the fact that we design for an international clientele, uh, we don't see them often. And also the shipyards that we uh, collaborate with, uh, aren't, most of them aren't local. So we're already dispersed. So we've been used to that. But what we've not been used to is that part where you really engage the customer on an emotional level. So what we've been doing is we've been doing everything that we've done before, but now we've been doing videos where I speak and I have the presentation with them and I give them the pros and cons so they can open the package and they can watch a video and they can listen to me speak to them. And so that has been something that we've really been finessing since the start of the pandemic. And quite frankly, um, when we're beyond this, um, I I don't know if I'd wanna return to the other way because it becomes so concise and you can drive the point so clearly in this presentation. Because when you're in person, there's a lot of extraneous things that are very distracting, but in this mode, it's not.
0: Essentially, you're making an influencer video for for your audience. Pretty much. And, And it's much more efficient.
1: It is very efficient. Very efficient. Like I said, when when you meet in person, um, you and and especially if you know for most of my clients, when I go to have a meeting with them, I travel to them, and I'm either staying on board or staying at a hotel, going to their home, whatever it may be. And when you are there for a meeting, they have me, and that may be for a day or for several days. So really, the time needed to accomplish. The meeting may collectively be three or four hours, but they may have 48 or 72 hours with you. So there's a lot of dialogue that happens in the meantime, and you have to cut through all of that to get to the point of why you are having the meeting. Whereas in this uh, particular uh, format, you go right to the point, and here's why we're meeting, and I need you to answer this, that, and the other. So it is much more efficient.
0: Did you have to invest in any kind of new technology like three D technology at all, or um, this was fortunately, a fight- fortunately,
1: not because we've been heavily involved in in virtual uh, presentations, and um, actually very involved, and it's been a huge part of our communication skills. So, no, we didn't have to do that. What did what I did have to invest in was my time, in the sense that um, when when w- when I design. Um, and I make a presentation, I don't need notes. I, I can just sit in front of you and I, I, I can paint that picture for you. Um, when you're sending a package that's electronic, now I have to convert that into a dialogue and I have to position that, I have to word it in such a way to number one, get the point across, number two, engage them, keep them engaged, convince them. So all of that takes a lot of writing actually and then I have to record it. So no, we didn't have to really engage or spend more money in new technologies. I had to shift the priorities of my time and how it fit into that same cycle of the design presentation. So I gave up the travel and that in-person time, um, but then it was replaced with the time needed to actually script these presentations, which is huge,
0: actually. So from a business standpoint where, what were some of the lessons that you've taken away from this whole experience over the last seven months?
1: Um, I I would say really it's an extension of what we had just spoken about. And that is uh, to learn to design and present um, and how to formulate it absent of my presence and being able to communicate that craft uh, in a way that still can get the results that are needed, which is decisions at the end of the day. And um, having to do that without having the ability to read the body language of the owner, to read how they, they look, how their eyes shift, all of these different things that, that when you are in front of a person, And you have a lineup of an agenda that you're going to present. There have been many times when I've had, say, 30 things on an agenda and I'm on item number 16 and item number 17 is up next. But just what I felt from item number 15 or whatever it may have been before by their body language, the way they looked, that I may skip that item because I already know the answer and you know that's human nature we we read people and we can discern things but in the virtual presentation you plow along you're going to present it because you're not getting that feedback so your your explanation and your delivery has to be spot on because you didn't see what how it affected them emotionally in the previous conversation and now you're presenting it with confidence that they're going to accept it but they're already receiving it in a negative way so that it's just a different dynamic. That's what I've learned is to be very uh, keen on uh, and, and connected to what I've designed and to them and to make that connection between the design and them.
0: Are you seeing the next generation of elite seagoing going vessels increasing in size? Like, you know, what is considered a large super yacht these days? And I'm, I'm assuming that the rise in the number of larger yachts is directly linked to an increase in the number of billionaires out there.
1: Well, um, I, I would say I would agree with that. Um, and as far as what is a, a large yacht, it's kind of asking an audience, what is the prettiest color? So, um, <laughs> but no, it's relative. It, it really is relative. Right, right, right. A, a huge yacht to somebody else is basically a tender to another. And, but, you know, I would say that um, as long as corporate earnings and personal earnings are made known, Um, they are reported, yachts will always grow. Uh, For the most part, this ownership, for the most part, not. and I'm not going to pigeonhole every yacht owner Mm -hmm. uh, in this next statement, but in seeing what I've seen over the last uh, decade, maybe decade and a half, particularly the last decade, you know, it's a subliminal competition. And when it's kind of like owning a car and you pull up to a restaurant, and people are in so many ways superficial by nature. That's not a derogatory comment. We tend to judge by what the eyes see and uh, we become critical to that. So when you have a yacht that is uh, 30 meters, 40 meters, 80 meters, 90 meters, the larger it becomes really the less the owner has to speak about his success. He will let his Uh, object of creation, his yacht, do the talking. He doesn't have to say anything. And as long as you have that expression of somebody's apparent wealth being shown so visually, uh, yachts will always grow in size. And as it is right now, we are tipping the scale of entering the, not only the length, but in some cases, the volume of what would be considered commercial cruise ships, of course, on the smaller size. Um, but they are most certainly, in my opinion, going to continue to increase in
0: size. Yeah, and with the tech industry boom, are these billionaire yacht owners getting younger? And and how are younger yacht owners different in terms of the types of vessels they want and the interior design in those vessels?
1: Uh, that's uh, an, an interesting um conversation that I, I love. I could talk your entire um, podcast <laughs> on this topic. And, you know, it's a major, major shift in not only in our industry, in every industry, including the, and, and mostly the luxury industry. And yes, the owners are becoming younger. And remember earlier in the conversation, we were speaking about how design trends are changing yachts, mm-hmm. in the design of yachts, because what a yacht owner back in the day. And and you know, just humorously, my benchmark of Mr. Yacht Owner. And for, for those who are old enough to remember this television series.
0: Are you gonna say Thurston Howell the You yes, and for whoever's
1: listened to this, we did not plan this. Yes, no Thurston <laughs> Howell the Third. You know even though the minnow was only 32 Wait, pounds for, for
0: our listeners just to say our listeners um that was a character on a tv show called gilligan's island
1: yes thank you for clarifying that i would have taken it for granted but uh thank you but scott really when you think about thurston howell the third um it's a persona that is representing so many things um it's it's the type of individual he is the class that he's in the expectation that he has from others, himself, his belongings, all of these things are are kind of packaged into this persona, this character, Thurston Howell III. Now, Thurston Howell III, I would say that if we were to take him as the quintessential yacht owner, and he was the basis of, he was the typical client that you would think of when a yacht was being built back in the day. Mm -hmm. We're talking maybe 30, 40 years ago, uh, 40, 50 years ago, maybe. Um, so now we're on to Thurston Howell III's grandkids. If not, we're beginning to enter great-grandkids mm-hmm. at that point. So really, the ideal has totally changed. So with that in mind, what was important to Thurston Howell III uh, is no longer important to this new generation, the descendants.
0: And what? What? What would that be? What is what? What is more important now? I give you a good example. younger generation. A couple of things.
1: I, I give you a good example, and and this example is probably going to make some listeners head spin. Um, I have a client uh, that we had designed a project for, and they have an affinity for brands, luxury brands, and it's very important to them. And when we designed that that vessel, it was a sizable vessel. When it came to everything that is placed on the table, the the, the dining table, whether it's dinner, breakfast, lunch, snacks, anything that goes on the table, or that supports what goes on the table, like hollowware, serving platters, anything that has to do with supporting the dining experience on that table, they spent in excess of one million dollars just for mm-hmm. that. Now, let's yeah. apply that to. The new generation. There's a term that I've been using a lot. And that term is disposable luxury. So now you may have said that, you may say that, yeah, Thurston Howell III back in the day, okay, he spent a million dollars went what went on his table for his dining experience. So here comes the grandson and the granddaughter. It's not important to them. What's important to them that they would ask their designer? that here you are designing a boat for me, we're gonna take delivery in three years. It is your job to tell me when, when I take delivery of my boat, what is the latest and greatest in everything, including color? And you may say to them, oh, well, you know, the forecast is when you get closer to it, that the color of the year is going to be orange, hypothetically speaking. Okay, well, I want everything on the table orange. And when the next year comes and the accent is green, then just go ahead and throw out, donate, sell, give away everything that was orange. But while they had the orange, they were living in their luxury because they love it. I have the latest, I have the greatest. So it doesn't matter if the plate that they're eating on is $7 or $20 or $550. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they experience the luxury of what they want, when they want it, as long as they want it and they get rid of it and they're not going to break the bank doing it now when you take that mentality and you take it from the top down um, my wife and I had a luxury goods store and we pervade um, high-end brands the the most expensive brands you can imagine and uh, I won't name them and during our ownership of this business we began to see such a decline, a fast decline of the interest in these brands. And many of these brands globally are suffering very, very bad because the generation today views luxury as disposable, whereas these brands uh, were developed with heritage in mind, legacy in mind. It's something that you buy It's something that you use, that you take care of, that you pass on. It's something that increases in value the longer you do that. They could care less about that today. So when your brand is based upon legacy and the preservation of legacy, start looking for a different way to really expand that base of your customers because disposable brands is what's here today. And so for the yacht owner who is designing their boat today, that is not inclined to invest in a legacy of material things to pass on to the next generation, they are going to make requests that satisfies their need for now, their desires for now. And when they're done with it, it's not going to bankrupt them and it's not really going to hurt when they replace it with what's up what's coming up next and what's on, on, on the assembly line.
0: That's yeah, are, are you finding a lot of the younger generation also asking for the most advanced technology in the, uh, in their yachts?
1: Yes. Yes, most certainly.
0: Do they, they, do they request specifics or you just, do they just say, Hey, just give me the latest technology you have in broadband or whatever it is. Cause I'll be out to sea. Or do they specifically come in with the types of technology they want
1: Include- no, not, not, not typically, not typically. When in, in, in the technology, um, when, when you design a boat to accommodate uh, communication, uh, you, you think about all of the communication systems that you have on a, on a vessel and the ability to communicate um, You know, in, in many different formats, including satellite communication, uh, which is, is becoming less and less expensive, but it's still expensive. But when you have a basic platform on board, to support a vessel like that, um, it, it can it can fill the need or the request of virtually anything that the owner can throw at them. So, no. So long as you have a solid platform of communication and network that you can um, build on, um, it, it uh, takes care of all of their needs. So, no. Very seldom do I see specific request for anything from a tech uh, from a technology standpoint a tech communication is huge of course um, um, gaming gaming is huge yeah uh, movies are huge and then another thing is security is huge and for all of that all of those disciplines are becoming more and more integrated and fused together whereas in the past you had different disciplines different arms of the industry that would service communication. And then you would have uh, audio and video or audio and visual, and you would have security. These are all different uh, arms within the industry, not only the marine industry, but all industries. And now you have this melding together. Even in navigation uh, is now beginning to meld all together into a giant electronics package that encompasses mm-hmm all of these because one can really not um, exist without the other uh, as a silo. They, they are broad based and they are interactive. So that uh, all of those uh, different disciplines are critically important to the new yacht owner.
0: Is the interior design for a yacht more challenging than interior design for a home? Um,
1: well, you know, it's not rocket science. Uh, designing with uh, designing luxury yachts Um, but yes in some cases designing a yacht is more complex Uh, and the reason being is that um, by and large uh, you know there are some land-based projects homes and and commercial spaces that are incredibly incredibly complicated and complex Um, but for a residence versus a yacht uh, for the most part uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complex, and, and the primary reason is that you have a, a, an incredible interface with machinery, and you have definitive structures, um, and those can be quite challenging. For instance, like a, on an aircraft, um, when you design an environment for an aircraft, um, you have so many limitations. You can't stretch it, you can't widen it, you can't heighten it, you can't, you can't do anything. Um, beyond the envelope, what is technically known as the envelope, to stay within certification. So that's a limitation. same thing with a yacht. Um, for, for a house, when you design in a home and you you know you're doing your floor plans and, and the owner says, well, I want my master suite three feet wider or 10 mm-hmm. feet longer or whatever it is. And you just do that. You don't have to re-engineer the house. But if you are designing a yacht, and the owner realizes, wow, my, my master suite is three feet, could be three feet wider or 10 feet longer. You have to re-engineer the whole thing. You just cannot pop out of the side or stretch it. Because even if you stretch it, you have to engineer the impact that this additional link has on the performance of the vessel. So it does become a little bit more complex than dealing with uh, land-based design. But again, it's not rocket science, it's just a different discipline.
0: So when people are evaluating a yacht's purchase, is it usually as a couple who is generally who generally makes the purchase decision Do they Does one person focus on the engine and the mechanical systems and first, and then the interior design, how does it usually work?
1: Ultimately it's the owner uh, for, for every owner. And that really runs the gamut. Um, you have some owners that uh, many of my clients, fortunately, many of my clients, I have a personal relationship with and we, we go through everything on the vessel uh, for the most part. Um, and then of course there are scopes that, uh, that, is, that are concerned more with the shipyard, but um, with, the, w- with the decision-making process, it, it generally comes down to the owner, even though some of them may have large teams that are working for them, they're there primarily to guide, direct, and to do due diligence to come back to the owner to say a decision needs to be made whether it's an engine, an engine, a a generator, electrical systems, communication systems, whatever it is, ultimately the owner is going to have to make that decision. But he has a team that is vetting all of this um, information, gathering this information and giving him pros and cons to all of his decisions that he has to make. And, but ultimately it's the owner.
0: You know, I was reading a statistic that there has been a 75% increase in women searching for boats so far in 2020. Are you seeing... That impact on your business? Because it seemed, we were talking about Thurston Howell, the third character before, but it seems like the old style of interior design on yachts was more of this, you know, this floating men's club. Um, So are you seeing more women um, getting involved in uh, a purchasing a yacht and obviously the design as well?
1: No, not yet, not so far, but that will for sure change um, because you can just take a look at how things are evolving in society and it's only it's really only a matter of time and you know that's an interesting comment that you made as far as a gentleman's club and that really is what yachting was all about it it was for that that rich millionaire by the way the millionaire back then which you know a millionaire seems to be nothing today it seems like the person sitting on the corner of the street is a millionaire But back then, when you had a millionaire that built a yacht, and you think about a yacht that he may have built that's maybe just at 100 feet or over 100 feet, and that was just so incredibly huge, and not only in size, but, you know, just an accomplishment, financial accomplishment, and typically it was driven by a man. Uh, and the conducted business um, when he's on land, but then the yacht became an extension of his, his business, whether it's through entertainment or whatever. But it was basically for uh, driven by the man and his family or maybe his buddies and they go on trips and whatever. But uh, that has changed. And we are I'm seeing other sectors of my industry that I work in where women are the taking the lead. In massive projects, massive purchases, I've not seen it uh, with a client on the yacht side yet, though, for my company.
0: You know, so, for a thirty to forty million dollar yacht, what percentage of that cost usually goes to interior designing, furnish and furnishings?
1: Okay. Well, that's a very big swing. Uh, it depends on what is included in that. And if you were to really take a fully comprehensive interior, start to finish, millwork, stone all of the FF and E, which is fixture furniture and equipment, you know, that can range, uh, and, and also the degree of fit and finish, um, that can range anywhere from 25, 40, sometimes even tip and 50% hmm. of the vessel, uh, easily, easily. Uh, you know, the, the cost of anything is in the detail, and the detail of every yacht is found in its interior components so it, it is a, a pretty a pretty large percentage of the overall. It's an important percentage because that's really the environment and that's the experience of the owners.
0: So what are some of the more popular features that your clients are asking for in some of these larger yachts?
1: Well um, we find I find uh, and, and we deal with uh, quite a broad section uh, excuse me cross section, of um, owners is autonomous control. That's huge, that's huge. And also whole system control, consolidated controls, um, less local and less I- isolated controls. They are looking for, you know, now we have Alexa and that, that has an impact on the, the psyche of um, all consumers because how wonderful it is, I, I don't know if you remember, I certainly remember growing up as a kid, and this is gonna date me, but I remember when we first got a remote controlled TV. Mm-hmm. And before the remote controlled TV, there was somebody who had to stand guard of the TV that they sat closer to the TV. So then when, when, when the viewers were bored with channel four, then it needs to go to channel six. Well, somebody needs to switch that channel. So <laughs> when, when we think about uh, whole, whole house systems or whole environment systems. That appeals to everyone. I mean, how incredible it is for you to sit in your easy chair, your favorite spot in your house, and be able to control everything without having it stand up. Turn off this light, turn on this light, lower this um, temperature, um, turn on this water at this temperature, start recording this and recording that, start cooking this, start. This is where we are.
0: So, is there a lot of voice activation that you're including in these in the yacht design?
1: Uh, no, no, actually. Is that uh, surprising?
0: Because no. that surprises me. Yeah, I would think there would be more integration of Alexa into it, uh, into some of the um, some it of the would, features. It, it
1: would be, and you you would think that it would. In time, it would. And you know, that that technology really, when you when you look at it in the in the overall scheme of things, that technology is relatively new. And there there are some frustrating things about it. You and I have both experienced it where you tell your device, you know, we're supposed to have hands hands-free in our cars. And you know, I that never before in my life do I wish for red lights and bridges going up and railroad crossings coming down because it gives me a chance to look at my email mm-hmm. and you know, to to really take care of those important things that can't wait. And really red lights and bridges and railroad tracks are my friend. But apart from that, I rely upon my voice command for emails and text and whatever. And it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. So, you know, that technology isn't there yet. Not enough to really spend at this level because the outcome would probably be more frustrating than anything else. So no, it's very tactile. And if you want to call it analog, analog in the capacity of you have to touch it to make it work. Um, But no, we haven't been seeing a lot of uh, voice command but i'm sure that that's going to be changing before too long
0: so how is the pandemic changing super yacht design are you seeing more super yachts that are looking and i think you actually inferred to that inferred to this before that you're seeing more super yachts that are looking more like commercial vessels mm. and you know luxury with the right tech and features that are made f- more for expeditions and adventures that will get them very very far away you know think you know ice breaking stern you know extensive spa to relax and along after a long day of skiing. Are you seeing more of that happening, where you know these customers um, and these owners just want to get away from it all?
1: Well, you know, let's speak it. Let me let me speak in terms of relative scale, uh, in answering my question. When we think about the pandemic um, and it started, um, I was in Europe when the lockdown had. I, I actually landed in Germany on the Thursday. Um, before the Friday that the country was shut down. So I basically flew to Europe, landed in Germany to get on a flight to come back. I was one of the last flights out of Germany to come back. And that was on Friday, February the 13th. Um, So when we think about when this actually came down on us, literally in a lockdown, um, we're really talking about nine, 10 months ago. Um, There there have been some changes and some responses, uh, knee jerk, if you want to call it, responses to the pandemic, sanitizing, face masks, social distancing, um, uh, recycling your laundry and and cleaning your vessel on a different schedule, a more frequent schedule, all of that, that's a given, hotels do that, restaurants do that. So that's nothing new for the marine industry. Um, But when you think about um, consequential changes or reactions to this pandemic, we haven't hit the relative cycle yet, as an example. Uh, we do not know where the pandemic is going to go ultimately in, and, and when it will end and when we get back to normal. But in order for that to have an impact to where you have an owner that consciously decides to build a vessel and we're going to engineer this vessel. Now, the, in the past, he would have a certain set of disciplines to which we would design. But for that new set of disciplines to now fold into it, coronavirus and living with coronavirus, that scale of the cycle hasn't really hit us. Um, And I do not know if it will ever hit us to where a boat will be designed specifically with one of the disciplines of of coping with and living with coronavirus in mind.
0: Well, especially if they have a vaccine... That's especially
1: hit. have a vaccine. Right. It, but let's pretend for a moment. Let's just pretend for a moment. Let's just say there's no vaccine. And let's just say that there's no resolve to it. And this just goes on. And you actually now fall into the scale of cycle of having a pandemic drive long-term investment and creation such as in building a yacht. I mean, it could be from anywhere from two years to five years, the, lo- the longest period of time it took for us to build a yacht was seven years. And there were many reasons why it was seven years, um, and it was an exceptional yacht. But um, for a pandemic to have that sort of result, you know, if that were to happen, I am sure you would probably see, especially at that level, to where you have the demographic that can spend uh, the investment, make the investment to really ensure that he and his family and guests are are safe. I imagine that you will probably have uh, sanitized. Um, disinfectant quarters uh, that, that people and objects will be subjected, subjected to uh, frequently. Uh, you will probably have a development of um, impervious materials more so than what we have now that uh, discourages the, the, the growth or the um, preservation of bacteria on surfaces. And so for the pandemic to really begin to drive any sort of consequential change in our industry or any other industry, I think it would have to be so prolonged. So for right now, it's the basic standard, what we know of as first line of defense, face masks, hand sanitizing, hand washing, social distancing, just being very clean with your surfaces and everything else. That's, that's the extent of it. We haven't really had anything that's impacted.
0: So what is the yachting industry doing to become an an eco player? You know, You think sailing and yachting enthusiasts would be particularly interested in the preservation of the marine marine environment that they hold so dear, because they want to enjoy it in the future. So what are yacht designers doing to lead the green movement?
1: Um, Well, there are several things that uh, have been in the works for a while. I think the more that people become aware of maybe their environment around them, and you have many different uh, variant views of that, but when you do take a look at what sort of an impact a yacht has on the environment, um, you begin to recognize that there are things that have been done traditionally for, for decades that could be done differently uh, with a positive outcome, a, a, a nice side effect, if you would. And we see Um, different things that are are being developed from power systems, the type of power systems, uh, low emission systems, even lighting systems, uh, take into account um, the ecology and the environment and the impact on the environment, um, and also finish systems. When you think about, uh, for instance, when you paint a boat and um, you think about all of the components from the the priming of the hull to the preparation of the uh, farin um, and then the, the the priming of the ferrin, and then the finished product and the overcoat and all of these things, it's a lot of chemicals. And so there are finished systems that are developed that are not as harsh or not as taxing uh, on the environment. Um, you, you see um, synthetic materials uh, that are now entering into the market, we see it across um, every sector of design. Uh, You look at a high rise uh, today that's being built and if you were to go through and take stock and inventory of what's in that high rise uh, compared to one that was maybe built 50, 60, 70 years ago, you would see a tremendous difference in the makeup of material, the composition of materials and how many materials have been engineered uh, in a synthetic capacity that uh, takes the place of natural materials. And um, also there's a huge drive which you know, is more successful in some areas than in others where you have repurposed materials. And going back to that synthetic material, I'll give you an example, a, a huge example as a matter of fact. Um, when you think of a yacht and you think of exterior decks, one always thinks of that deck as being antique wood. Right. And, um, you know, there was a period I remembered that uh, in, in, a, in a certain point in my career when we were designing and we were looking for just the highest quality teak and, and one of the best teaks is Burmese teak. And it became um, in such high demand that what was on the market was considered green teak green in the sense that it had not fully matured. It didn't have that golden luster. It didn't have all of the attributes that you would see in a nice fully matured teak tree that produces these teak planks that are just art to look at. And so I remember that early in my career that wow, you know to find teak, we need to start to ask, is it matured? Is it green? because we were using it more than it faster than it can grow. Uh, in some instances. So today you have other products that, that emulates teak. You have many of them on the, on, on, on the world stage right now in the marine industry, that when you're on a teak deck, uh, sometimes you have to really look and pay attention. Am I on a teak deck? Um, because in some cases it's synthetic. Some you can tell immediately, but some are doing pretty good. Um, and so that's an example of uh, how yachts and how boat builders and designers and engineers and architects, how we're all evolving in the products that we specify and the demands that we make on behalf of the owner to our industry, to our subs and vendors, to where they go to their labs and they begin to develop product that would meet the demand. And more and more owners are appreciating a synthetic material. In the past, it was a faux pas, but no, it's not anymore.
0: So, can you share maybe one of your personal favorite interior design projects to date? Maybe briefly explain the story behind them.
1: Um, with this, are you speaking of one of my projects, or are yep, you speaking? of one of yours. Oh, one of my projects. Okay. Um, I didn't know if you meant a designer looking out as, as you know, among his colleagues and appreciation and appreciating work that was done. One of the projects that I have, I have designed, um, I, I'm, I'm a lover of wood, natural wood. And there was this one project that I had and it was for a single uh, gentleman. And he was building a, a vessel that was just under 200 feet. And I remembered when it came to the uh, conversation about materials, he loved natural materials, um, stone, uh, leather, wood, uh, textiles, silks, he just loved natural material. And so when it came time to start developing the, um, the, what is it that, um, there was a system that we had used for uh, in introducing different materials into our design. It was a matrix of sorts. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the millwork, uh, we got to speaking about species of wood and he would make it very clear How much he loved wood. So it was my kind of estimation that when we actually visited the supplier for the wood throughout and outside the interior of the vessel, I had in my mind, maybe with him being such a lover of wood, that maybe there would be five, six different species. So when I got to the facility ahead of him, and I went through, and these are all exotics, by the way, and a huge conference room and huge flitches of the near representing these tremendous logs. And uh, we were in a, a showroom, a very nice showroom, and a huge conference room that had the ability to lay out many different flitches. And there were just so many things that were there, species that were there, and me being a lover of wood. I ended up selecting like 35 selections because we were both flying there and I wanted to make sure that when we left, we had our five or six. And much to my shock and surprise, he picked out 21 species. Wow. Yeah. So I told him, okay, well, this is good. That gives us a library of 21. And I'm still thinking (laughs) we we have five, six, seven, eight out of them. No, we ended up using 21 species of wood on that vessel. And what that meant um, and what, what resulted in that was something that I've never experienced in my career before then or since then, is the um, equation that went into the figuring out that went into how to marry all of this uh, into one environment to where it did not look like a chaotic explosion mm-hmm. of, um, of wood. And I have to say that it was one of the most gratifying experiences in my career designing that project.
0: When was the last time you saw that vessel?
1: uh, The last time I saw it uh, was about five years ago, maybe four years ago. And it's still- Same owner, Still the
0: same owner right now still has it?
1: Yes, same owner that still has it, yes. And if and if you were a visual podcast, we would flash images of what this looks this vessel looks like, and I can point out um, in one frame all of the different species of wood uh, that's there that you would you would not you're not overwhelmed by uh, the amount of wood. It was really orchestrated in a uh, a very a tactical way. I was quite happy with it, um, but uh, as far as a, a, a vessel that I reflect upon, a design that I reflect upon, I would say that that one was pretty dear to me. It, 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 it exercised and it pushed me um, beyond several comfort
0: zones. So what kind of interior designs do you envision yacht owners of the future will want to see?
1: Um, ultimately, um, I believe that there's virtually going to be no distinction between the interior and the exterior experience. Um, I was interviewed um, coincidentally enough by a gentleman yesterday for his new boat and we were on his boat. And he was speaking of the things that he wants to do um, for his next project. And, you know, for those who are familiar with the yacht uh, when you board a yacht for the most part, especially in the Mediterranean or in the Caribbean, you board from the stern. So you enter the aft deck. And then from there, you enter the main deck salon, dining salon, that that environment, that space. And it's usually the most impressive, the most alluring, uh, captivating space. And um, you look at it and you move on. You go up to the sky lounge, you go up to the sun deck, you go elsewhere. And it's kind of the the same principle for those who remember, maybe back in, in, in the day when in a home you would have a formal living room and a formal dining room and your mom would say, get out of the formal living room, that's for guests. Go in the family room or go in the great room or whatever. And you had these icons, uh, these relics of rooms that just consume square footage. And then when you looked at the way that they're used, the percentage, the ratio of time, it's a waste. Um, it's never used. And that's where we are now in the marine industry is that you have such expensive real estate that's taken up such incredibly prime property uh, on the vessel that is used um, in, in a very small capacity. And now I see, even now, and your question is, what do I see in the future? But even based upon what I see now, uh, given time and into the future, I imagine that these once, these museum type rooms, main salon, dining salons will now morph into an experience that blends seamlessly with the exterior. Um, And with it come in materials that are uh, much lower in uh, maintenance. Um, It has the ability to to convert. Um, Convertible spaces are huge. Uh, to where maybe it serves this purpose uh, for one use and it serves this purpose for another use. So in the future I see that there's going to be a lot of um, um, there's going to be a lot of correlation between interior and exterior spaces. And I think a given time, the interior as we know it is going to evolve into a really highly refined exterior experience, if that makes sense.
0: It does. So my final question, Patrick, which I ask all my guests is the luxury item question. If you were stranded on a deserted island, much like the passengers of the SS Minnow (laughs) on uh, Gilligan's Island, and you could have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of transportation, like, sorry, it can't be a yacht, can't be any form (laughs) or air transportation or anything that requires mobile service. What would that one luxury item be?
1: Well, first of all, um, let me uh, quantify that. Is that from the question, it didn't really state the circumstances leading up to one being stranded. And the connotation typically is, is that it's a result of misfortune. Um, and that's how I'm going to read your, your question. Yes. I'm stranded. Perfect. Not by my, my, my doing of course not right yes okay you know luxury is relative and luxury is a valuable commodity but luxury is not always tangible so for me um being stranded on an island i would love the luxury of peace and contentment whatever the situation may be that if I have, and I am at peace and I am contented, I can cope with whatever the outcome is of being stranded on that island. So whether I have communication or whether I have proper clothing or whatever it may be, I would say my best luxury would be to be at peace with that.
0: Patrick, that's a great answer. I didn't expect that, but that's a great answer. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Scott, for having (laughs) me. I
1: appreciate it.
0: That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.